I'm going to read from Isaiah 53, 7 to 12. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living, from the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had, not, he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he was... See, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the life of life and be satisfied by the knowledge. My righteous service servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressions. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Well, yesterday, uh, Bianca Andreescu won the U.S. Open. And uh, uh, it will probably be one of the ten greatest uh, sporting events uh, in Canadian history as far as the significance uh, the unusualness and, and just the spectacular nature. Um, this is one of the church's tennis rackets that we use at the sport camp, and this actually is a Serena racket. Um, I can't wait till our church can have a Bianca racket, and uh, that will come. That will come soon. Just uh, thinking though about uh, the success of winning the U.S. Open, uh, 3.85 million dollars she won. Um, that's a nice payday. Um, wow. Uh, quite successful, and uh, I, guess, uh, I guess the rest of her life is set with uh, $3.85 million in a two-week two week span. And that doesn't even count uh, endorsements. Um, every time you're on TV and you're wearing your Nike logo, which she has, that is money every hour that you are on television with a Nike logo. Uh, and that's uh, whether you're under contract or not. So uh, uh, the money, the money is just it's so exciting for her. I, I was just thinking, though, uh, the success that she has and uh, the praise that she gets is in contrast to that of Jesus Christ, who during his life uh, was not deemed successful and uh, suffered and died as a criminal. And yet, the suffering, the abuse, and the death brought more success to Christ than any amount of money or any amount of winning. And uh, that is what Isaiah 53 is talking about. Glenn, there should be a PowerPoint there. And this is part three. I thought we would do it in one sermon. We're going to finish it today no matter what, because we've got other stuff we've got to cover next week. So we're going to fly through this. Um, remind you, this is uh, Hebrew poetry. 
and Hebrew poetry rhymes ideas between the first line and the second line. Did I not put it on there? We have to do it the old-fashioned way? No, I don't have it in my pocket. Okay, the old-fashioned way is you've got to take out your bulletin and your Bible. Verses 7 through 9, the oppression and death of the servant. The oppression and death of the servant. Notice with me verse 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Poetry here is just beautiful. Oppressed and afflicted, yet he didn't, didn't speak out, didn't complain, didn't cry out. This uh, past summer at sport camp, every day there would be someone who would complain about something and they would tell me, it's too hard, I'm suffering. And I said, you can suffer, but you've got to be quiet about it. Uh, of course, they didn't want to be quiet. If they were hurting, they wanted to let you know. Uh, Jesus was not like that, oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not speak out. By the way, this poetry is written in 700 B.C. He's writing about the servant of the Lord. And the servant of the Lord, what he's going to accomplish for God. And this poem tells us he accomplishes things for God by suffering. Oppressed and afflicted, he did not open his mouth. He was like a lamb to the slaughter. Verse 6 said, we're all like sheep and we've gone astray. We're the negative qualities of sheep. They wander away. Jesus Christ is the positive qualities of sheep. He's compliant. And he is easily led. In other words, this is the Father's will and I'm going to do it. The rich animal figure tells us that he's led like a lamb to the slaughter. And uh, he is a sacrifice. Peter talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 2. It's commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he's unconscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before, to, before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And when Pilate was condemning him, don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Or Acts chapter 8. At one point, Philip, the evangelist, is told by the Holy Spirit, go down on the road between Jerusalem and Gaza, on the desert road. And, and, and he goes down there. And while he's there, he comes up beside a chariot. In fact, he runs up beside the chariot. And he hears someone reading. The eunuch, Ethiopian eunuch, is reading. And he's reading this passage. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, he did not open his mouth. The eunuch asked Philip, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? And Philip began with that very passage of scripture. 
and told him the good news about Jesus. Well, what does this mean to us? I've got four quick things. Number one, Jesus fulfills Old Testament prophecies. Why believe in Jesus? Because it's true. Prophecies made about Jesus, which he fulfills. Here, 700 years before him. Number two, Jesus is submissive to his faith, willingly accepts the plan to die on the cross. The difference between him and a sheep is that a sheep does it unwittingly, right? A sheep is silent. It doesn't know what's happening. Jesus is silent. He knows exactly what's happening. The poem writer deliberately, I think, uses sheep as a metaphor because this is sacrifice. And we need someone sacrificed in our place. And if I can be a little more personal for you today, one of the most unchristlike behaviors is complaining. Uh, it is, I think it's a Canadian pastime. Complaining about government, prices, wages, society. I remember somebody told me that they were really upset. I go, what are you really upset about? So people just keep wearing their hats in the mall. Sometimes, sometimes you just have to learn to be quiet. Um, people are big whiny babies. We like to complain about things. Not Jesus Christ. And he had a reason to complain. Real oppression. Real injustice. But he was quiet. Verse 8. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants, or who can speak of his generation, or what does his generation say? That's kind of the way they interpret that today. It can be, it can be taken two ways. Now, if it means who can speak of his descendants, it means this. It's poetry, for Jesus dies without children. And to die without children in Jesus' day was to live a life that was worthless. If you, if you died at the age of 30 and you never had kids, that's a waste of a life. That was just the thought of the day or the modern way to take it. Who of his generation protested or who of his generation spoke out about it? When they saw that was happening for Jesus, who was there standing up and go, hey, you can't do this, it's wrong. Nobody was there. Um, notice oppression and judgment. He was taken away. Wrong judgment. Terrible deeds. It says the same kind of thing. He was cut off from the land of the living. A beautiful poetic way to say he was killed. Cut off from the land of the living. Why? For the transgression of my people. He was punished. And again, there is that idea that he is dying. And he is suffering because of what somebody else has done. Because of what we have done. I, I hope you enjoy some of this, uh, some of this poetry. By judgment, he was taken away. That means he was killed. He was cut off from the land of the living. That means he was killed. Um, we have many different ways to say somebody dies today. I wrote, I wrote down, I wrote down some. It said uh, he died. He's no longer with us. He passed on. Fell asleep in Jesus. He's gone to heaven. He expired. He's worm food. He bought the farm. He kicked the bucket. He's lying down in his best suit. So, you know, you can come up with all kinds of them, right? And uh, that's kind of what that's kind of what the poet is doing. But the poet is choosing ones that show this is premature. 
It's not right. It's unjust. It's oppression. And it's sacrifice. And he's piling on those words and those ways of saying he has died and it's because of what someone else has done. Notice verse 9. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Kind of weird poetry. Assigned a grave with the wicked. So the servant will be given a, given a grave that is just like all the criminals and all the bad people. And he also gets connected with the rich in his death. Those two things, don't kind of, they kind of don't make sense the way they go together. First of all, part of the injustice is that this is God's servant. He should have been wealthy. And the only time he gets to really be wealthy is when he's dead. Then he gets to get, I put it in terms of Jesus, he actually has a home. He never had a home. Jesus Christ, right? Never had a place to live. Never had his own home. Never owned property. But when he died, he had his own tomb. Something that a wealthy person would be put in. Again, part of that injustice. Assigned a grave with the wicked, and of course that is how Jesus Christ was killed. He was killed with criminals. One on his right and one on his left so that everyone would think, hey, they're all the same. They're bad people, and they deserve what they get. Notice the rest of the poetry. Though he had done no violence, it's undeserved. He didn't do anything wrong, but even more than that, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Not only had he not done something criminal, you could not find any bad behavior in his entire life. The ultimate injustice is that not only are you killing him for something that he hasn't done, he is actually someone who has never done anything wrong at all. Johnny Hart writes this poem about it. He used to write the BC comic. Picture yourself tied to a tree, condemned of the sins of eternity. Then picture a spear parting the air, seeking your heart to end your despair. Suddenly, a knight in armor of white stands in the gap between you and its flight. And shedding his armor of God for you, bears the lance that runs him through. His heart has been pierced that yours may beat, and the blood of his corpse washes your feet. Picture yourself in raiment white, cleansed by the blood of the lifeless knight, never to mourn the prince who was downed, for he is not lost. It is you who are found. Finally, verses 10 through 12, the suffering servant is successful. Verse 10, but Yahweh desired to crush him. It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. The Hebrew word kafetz means desire or delight. It was the Lord's delight to crush him and cause him to suffer. Uh, many times today, one of the criticisms of Christianity is that the cross of Jesus Christ is now described as divine child abuse. That's the way, to, that's the way, that's the way they describe our religion. Child abuse. That, the, that God would send his son to die on the cross 
and there God would let him die. They call that divine child abuse. Um, let, me, let me say a couple of things in response to it. First of all, we're talking about a man in his 30s. If you talk about the human Jesus, he's in his 30s, and he's doing it willingly. He's, he's doing this willingly. But if you even extend it further and you think of God in eternity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, we believe they exist together for all of eternity and that there, there is an equality there in the Godhead. And when the Father decides to send the Son, it's not like the Son is not part of that decision. It's not, it's not, it's not like there's not communication going back and forth. That's their decision together. And so when the Father delights in sending His Son, this is not a 30-year-old putting a 5-year-old on the cross as the, the picture of child abuse. This is an equal God deciding one of those members will be the one who goes to the cross and bears our sin. Here's what, here's what Peter says in Acts 2, talking about Jesus. This man was handed over to you. He's speaking to Judas. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. This is the plan of God. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Or here's Peter speaking about the same thing in Acts chapter 3. Again, speaking to Jews about the death of Jesus. He says, I know you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. This is the Father and the Holy Spirit saying, this is the plan. The servant of God will go and he will suffer for mankind, die in their place. It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, a guilt offering is that offering that takes away your guilt, the negative consequences of your sin the things that weigh you down. You feel bad about what you have done and you deserve punishment for. The guilt offering takes that. He will see his offspring and prolong his days. In some ways, the poem makes no sense whatsoever. Over and over again, we hear that the servant will die. He will be cut off from the land of the living. He will suffer. He will be pierced. He will be crushed. And yet he says he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And you wonder, how in the world are those compatible? How can this be true of one individual? And of course, hopefully you're thinking, well, it's true because of the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus. He is not dead. He is not gone. He is alive. And no, he didn't have children. But guess what? He has brothers and sisters that he has brought into the family of God. We are his offspring. Are you excited about that? I'm happy about it. To be one of the offspring of Jesus Christ, to be connected to Jesus Christ, wow, that's fantastic. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. What God wants to do, he will successfully accomplish. And Jesus does exactly that. Verse 11. And after the suffering of his soul, 
he will see the light of life and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. After all this has taken place, and after he has borne sin, and after he has suffered and died, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. Satisfied in that I think he's accomplished the will of God. He's been his servant, and he's done what he's supposed to do. And by my righteous servant will justify many. Because he does everything right and he does these things, guess what? We are now made righteous. Why? He will bear their iniquities. Uh, Romans 5.1 Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 8.1 Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what Jesus Christ has effected. We are made righteous, justified, declared righteous by faith. And we have no condemnation, no negative judgment ever coming because we are in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ has paid for our sins. He has borne them. Finally, verse 12. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong. Give him a portion among the great, divide the spoils with the strong. Uh, Bianca um, will now have a portion among the great. Right? First, first Grand Slam winner in Canadian history and uh, in, 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 in the history of the world, I guess, not just Canadian history. First Canadian to win a tournament of that magnitude in tennis. Um, her name will always go down as uh, being a great athlete for our country. Uh, Jesus Christ will have a portion among the great. He will go down as being one of the great names in history. In fact, we will find out that he has the greatest name. In At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow because of what he did. A poetic way to say that is he will divide the spoils with the strong. He's successful, so he gets all of the reward. And Jesus Christ has that now, sitting at the right hand of the Father. And he will have it in the future when we throw our crowns and our rewards at his feet because of what he has done. And what has he done? Why does it happen? Because he poured out his life unto death. One of the things that they would do with a sacrifice is you would kill the animal and take the blood from the animal and there you would then pour the blood at the foot of the altar or sprinkle the blood at the altar to show that the life has been given. And Jesus literally poured out his life unto death, numbered with the transgressors, counted among those who were the worst. Why? He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressor. Written 700 years before Jesus Christ, a uh, beautiful description of the heart of Christianity and about what the cross means. For you here today, uh, the sin of your life and the iniquity, the transgression, the rebellion against God, there is only one hope for those of us apart from God, and that is to come to him through faith in Jesus Christ. Accept the sacrifice that the servant has made. God did it this way deliberately 
so that all of our sins could be paid for and we could be declared righteous in his sight. Because you can't do it by yourself. You can't be perfect and you can't live a perfect life. That's the requirement. To live up to the glory that God deserves and yet none of us live up to the glory that God deserves. We all fall short. And Jesus Christ makes sure that all of that is taken care of and we can have a right relationship with God and have peace with him. That's the message of Isaiah 53. And it's the message of the New Testament and the message of the gospel. So this morning, put your faith in Jesus Christ. Ask him to take away all of your sin because of what he has done for you on the cross. It is God's number one plan. That's God's number one plan for the world, right? It's a secret plan. You can't go outside and you can't see it in nature. You can't go outside and figure it out on your own. You have to have him tell it to you that this is his plan for the world to connect humanity tightly to him forever. That's the plan. This is, this is the way he did it. 